everyone, and welcome to Game Studies Review. This is going to be a weird one. I'm in a weird place today. I just got back from a funeral uh, and drank a beer. So, how are you doing? Uh, I am ready for our break, uh, and I'm hoping I can come back from it. <laughs> We're going to be in a weird place today. Um, but that's that's uh, not to say that I'm not as jazzed as a human being can possibly be about an article. Were you reading this and you were like, this, this, this is a good Alex choice? Uh, it felt like the kind of article you would write. And I mean that as the like highest compliment. Thank you. I feel like that's the highest compliment because I was reading it and I was like slamming my fist down like, yes, yes, yes. So our gaps um, that I'm usually in charge of my naysaying is going to be is going to be a little different today. Going to be a little different. I got some ideas. You don't not, know not anything. The, the, the gaps could be how do you build on this, you know, going forward rather than what gap. are its shortcoming. Yeah. It's not even a cheater gap. It's, you know, it's we got to read, you know, productively and constructively and not always just critically. I want that on a bumper sticker. Boom. Oh. Uh, we are reading, uh, or rather, we are reviewing the wonderful reading from Kelly Bergstrom, Ignoring the Blood on the Tracks, Exits and Departures from Game Studies. This is yet another in that wonderful special issue from Critical Studies and Media Communication uh, in the kind of line of articles that we've been reviewing. Hi, folks. I'm Cody Reimer, and uh, this is uh, yeah, this is the review. It's it's a great one. I think um, I told you this was going to be a weird one. I didn't even introduce myself or you. It's going to be weird. Eh, people, people like I don't know. As Twitter dies, I don't know how our like. I feel like that's been a great way to Mastodon. expand our audience. Matt, no, I'm not. I can't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think that the best way I can characterize Bergstrom's um, article and introduce it is that she is exploring how um, the future of game studies uh, as a scholarly discipline needs to have a reckoning with its parallel issues with toxicity in games culture industry, uh, because there are issues you know, in the academic area that are akin to those issues. And so she is giving us uh, a trio of sort of metaphors, allegories, illusions, mm -hmm. figurative language snippets mm -hmm. with which to frame how we um, ought think or how, how she is thinking about the future uh, of game studies and the, the kind of blood that's been left on the tracks so far and what we can do about it. So she's inspired by Christopher Paul's uh, book, Toxic Meritocracy, which sets up this parallel between the problems in games industry with issues in game studies. One of the most generative field. books I've read in <clears throat> the last five years. Really like, good. I love oh I love Paul's work. I like I assign uh, it I, every semester. Mm -hmm. One of his articles, you know, inspired me so much. I tried to, like, do more than it. And it felt like I was just, yeah, uh, well, that's a problem is, is and beholden to it. it was, if it was you haven't read this book, it's so clear. It's like anybody like I, I assigned it to my first year game study students. They they have no issue with it. It's it's not yeah. complex. It's just very to the point. Great research. Very well contextualized. Awesome. Yes. Uh, so Bergstrom goes on to talk about uh, the work of Salter, Blodgett and Harvey and how they address 
um, how academic production programs normalize toxic elements in the games industry. Uh, and then she connects that with uh, Paul's toxic meritocracy to extend that critique to game studies, uh, writing, quote, in particular, how introductory game studies courses set the long term agenda for what topics are or are not deemed relevant by our field, end quote. So she gives us uh, three metaphors to kind of situate how she's wrestling with this parallel between industry and academia and the problems within Sisyphus, uh, a leaky pipeline and blood on the tracks. She feels like Sisyphus by constantly having to retread the same points about feminism and games to non-feminist scholars. And it feels like this never-ending struggle to just rehash all the time why feminism matters, why these issue matter, mm -hmm. these issues matter, why feminist reading of games is important. Even as we love games, we want to see them improve. And it feels like, you know, having to do that all the time is exhausting in a and even explaining the particular way. traumas and um like explosive issues such as like yeah. jennifer hepler and uh gamergate and things like that that she finds these younger game studies or not younger but newer game studies students like not it's not even coming up for them as an issue like that's not even right. they're not even aware of it and so she makes she makes a call back to that in an attempt to try to fix what might be um you know that kind of Sisyphusian task and try to try to rectify it. Uh, she talks about the leaky pipeline as this um, kind of common, uh, almost cliche description of people leaving uh, higher ed or career paths due to discrimination rather passive. than lack of interest or aptitude. And that's the critique she has of it is that it's passive. Like the leaky pipeline is this idea of as we train people to further kind of propagate the, the fields of, you know, industry or academe, um, people disappear along the way. Where's the leak? What's the leak? Where, where are they going? What cracks are they falling through? And she says that I have got a problem with this metaphor. And the problem is that it's passive. Like they're just fading away, not because they're actively disenfranchised. I don't like this leaky pipeline metaphor, she writes. The and her particular interest is understanding why people quit, whether it's quit the industry, yes. quit the, uh, the academia or quit games quit, itself. That's quit playing games quit playing. or quit studying them. And that, that's right? her motivation here so this understanding yes. is really complex and nuanced when she says like this is an unsatisfying metaphor she's talking from years of interviews and study she published and all of uh, a lot on this Publishing um, so she's drawing on her own work and at one point she's critique. like see my work 2019 a 2019 b 2019 <laughs> c and i was like okay yeah i see you uh so but then the third metaphor is one that she uh was inspired uh by neil degrasse tyson from and he talks about his experience as uh, a black man in uh, physics and astrophysics, and he talks about the blood on the tracks. And she likes this metaphor a lot more than the than the leaky pipeline, because it, it's much clearer about the agency and the um, kind of deleterious effects of systemic prejudice on marginalized groups in the sort of training 
and um, educating that helps continue healthy uh, fields and generative work. And so she has, quote, become increasingly uneasy with the idea of adding to additional blood on the tracks by encouraging her students to pursue careers in the games industry, end quote. And so I think what she's really doing is um, putting out a very clear call that I think is important and necessary to ground folks in academics, specifically in game studies, but also industry folks, to think about how quitting games has to do with interconnected, interpersonal, intrapersonal, and structural constraints that curtail participation, which is her previous research, uh, and how games as texts, uh, for example, uh, position experienced players as subject matter experts because of their ludic knowledge. She wonders about her syllabus and her course as part of the kind of onroading to future game studies scholars and games industry workers. And she's thinking about this parallel between industry culture and academic culture and how to protect students and junior colleagues and, quote, mourning the futures that will not happen for game studies because of the blood on the tracks, end quote. But ultimately, the really the biggest value that we get here is not just the attention to this. That's hugely important. But she ends on a very powerful call and solution. She encourages a new genesis, a new kind of um, entry point into game studies. She says, let's not go back to Heizinga or Heizinga alone, for example, for the reasons that we just explored with Trammell. Uh, and Trammell really beautifully uh, elucidated. Uh, but she says, let's instead consider, for example, CLR James's 2013 Beyond a Boundary. Uh, and or in addition to reading Heizinga, pair it like you talked about when we read Trammell with a critique. And she offers Duncan's 1988 piece to explore who gets left out in Heizinga. And so I think that this call, this genesis is a really uh, important important uh, point because it's not a, a total fix. She doesn't position it as one, but it's very well aligned with the problem as being rooted in the curriculum um, of how we envision what game studies is and where it goes um, as a genesis of the field, but also because it's actionable. It's easily acted on. It's something that we can do. We can just help better frame our field, our origins, and where, what we want to be to help not leave blood on the tracks, to help support those junior colleagues and students and otherwise disenfranchised peoples of, you know, color, race, ethnicity, religion, et cetera, et cetera, um, and help frame this really serious uh, issue rather productively. I, I liked um, in nine pages that felt like a really elegant starting place to address this issue. Yeah, I've got a great quote to back up exactly what you're saying, which is um, which is why she thinks our game classes are the place to, to have the beginning of this turning point um, go. So uh, this quote here, each new generation of game scholars inherits the biases and assumptions that are embedded in this retroactive history when they are introduced to the field, which will turn, which will in turn be passed on to their own students should they become game scholars too. So she's very much pointing to this um, this cycle, and in fact, is one of the reasons I started down the path of rhetoric in the first place. I'm annoyed at our 
our intro to rhetoric class. You remember that? We have the tome with the Bible pages. And I'm mm -hmm. like, there have got to be other people talking about rhetoric than these, you know, as she just says, quote, seminal figures. Um, and and that's that's part of my call to rhetoric as well. So that really landed with me. And I think gives everyone a little bit of agency because games, game classes are becoming widespread. I teach a ton of game classes. You dive into games and you're teaching as well. And I think people at regional universities, at non-R1s, at R1s, of course, but at a, at a myriad of other universities are finding themselves with students who want to study games and work in the games industry. That's when, when I um, meet new people, every time they have a teenager, they say, you, you do what? You teach what? Oh, you can do that? Oh, you've got to meet my teenager. You've got to meet my nine-year-old. That's their whole world, you know? So I think this is a very powerful place to start. And like, and like you say, in nine pages, she is able to offer a critique, context, and a path forward. And that path forward is not, does not it's a good one. These, it's really good. And it's not included in these articles very often. Usually it's just the critique, but she's like, well, here's the critique and here's what we do about it today. Yes. And I'm like, yeah. So gaps, I, I don't have any gaps to talk about. It brought, reading the article brought a couple questions up for me. Um, I struggle with in a larger academic context, such as eliminating the canon from classes. It feels like as our classes are becoming more democratized and diverse and, um, and complex, and we start being more critical of the curricula we teach to our students that we move away from canonized theory. And I think about personally, like, am I doing a disservice to these students? Are they going to go out and be unprepared because they've never read X, they've never read Y, they've never read Z. And I think that that is a lazy way to think about curricula, curriculum planning because it just gives us the out of falling back on what we were taught. And it's not really reflective and it's sort of fear-based. So I don't think that that's a good critique, but it is something that came into my mind. I'm a human being, what are you gonna do? Um, and I think anybody who moves away from canonized, in fact, I know I know this is true because I've changed the, I've changed the readings in many classes I've taught and I face critique from otherwise, um, I don't know the word to use. That's not, I'm like trying not to be insulting uh otherwise with it people uh, mm -hmm. uh they uh they're like well how is this really teaching the history of rhetoric if you don't start with aristotle you know like people who otherwise are like great you know teaching about social justice and critique and all of those things and they're very concerned about my history of rhetoric not starting with aristotle so i, I think there's just history of western rhetoric history of greek rhetoric maybe aristotle but does not own rhetoric even then so anyway i think i think that's a natural response that i had um because i certainly wouldn't want to train to poorly poorly expose this well so that's you know, that that was scholars. one of my that was one of my kinds of questions and thoughts in all of this um, the only, I wouldn't even say it's a gap, but it's something to think and talk about. And I was excited to hear your thoughts. I'm wondering, as you teach games studies and game centric classes, as, uh, somebody whose program or whose department is now, um, 
trying to pitch a bachelor's of science in games and media studies uh degree Your department's doing that yeah they're they're proposing it uh How and not as she well because we haven't we haven't yeah and as uh you know she is talking about these students i am reminded of a conversation that i saw um between tl taylor and uh, some other folks about ethical concerns about um games programs and how they serve students in the sense that many institutions are uh, taking advantage of the popularity of games to confer degrees in games to students who have no hope of getting into the games industry with that degree because the industry does not care about credentialing, but about portfolios. No, they and do you, not. And if you talk to folks in industry, they say, I don't give a crap about the, you know, the letters on your piece of paper. Show me your work. Prove it. And I think there's a, an important ethical debate to be had about, you know, the the virtue, purpose, aim, scope, et cetera, of, of you know, programs within their context. I'm not making broad blanket mm -hmm. statements about any program, mm -hmm. right? We have a, a games design and development program at at uh, my university that's apart from the one that we're proposing. And it's fabulous. And it's, it's fantastic. They pitch students. And they position students to go into art, into media design, mm -hmm. into a lot of different. It's not just, hey, you're going to get into the games industry. But I'm thinking about the way that this is like framed for future scholars, mm -hmm. specifically in graduate work. You know, what does the future of game studies as a scholastic you know, program look like of training future game studies scholars to continue on the like the work? Because, you know, I'm trying to to reconcile you know, the disciplinary milieu of all of that, because I don't, I, and you've got great experience. I want to call on you, Alex. I, I'm, you, I'm literally raising my hands. I'm so seat. jazzed. Cause I can't like rhetoric is a lot older as, as a field than game studies. Can't we just like, that's why I like this call so much. It's like, fix it now before it's entrenched. The canon is not canon yet. I can't imagine writing something and somebody be like, oh, you don't have Kaloi in here. You don't have Huizinga. You really need to like. Oh, I've got know, a great story I, about that. I imagine, up. and I know you do. So like, I can imagine that happening, but not in this with the same degree or the same, like, uh, you know, whatever conviction as, as games. Um, as as ubiquitously as it might happen in rhetoric so i'll shut up i know you want to okay so i think part of the problem we have in academia in general and part of the reason it's so colonialist as i keep reading about what decolonizing academia means is yeah. that we're trying to look for universals so i'm not offering you a universal but i'm going to tell you about my particular experience and and i, I don't i hate to be complimentary because i'm very mis of myself because i'm very midwestern but i will pat myself on the back and say I think I'm a pretty ethical person. Would you agree? Yes. yes. I mean, you might not agree with my ethics, but but for the most part, I think most of my life I've abided by a particular code of ethics that I have. So I started a game minor and at my university. A minor is very benign. It's, it's not promising anybody a job. It's a way to take four classes in this case and learn a little something minorly to go along. So that was fine. And I have recently pitched for, um, I just got approved for game studies certificates. So these are micro certificates to keep up with 
Um, there's all this research that shows that students study for so many years, especially students like at our university that are coming back to school. They study for many, many, many years without achieving any credential and that having shorter credentials along the way that they can stack on um, can be motivating for them to ultimately finish their bachelor's, which is usually their goal. So I, I have these four micro certificates in games and they are, um, you know, ethics in games and narrative, uh, narrative, interactive writing, stuff like that. Now, each of those teaches a specific skill or there's like a game study scholar where they just take some, uh, three two credit classes in like theory and idea of games. Now, everybody says many, many people include, you know, they're hugely popular waitlisted when everything else is failing. When do we make this into a major? My answer, we don't. We don't. And in my labor market justification, the entire reason that I'm getting the state of Minnesota to allow credit, uh, a credential program below six or below nine, which is their limit, I want six credits for these, is because the games industry does not care about, and, and there's blog after blog, professional organization after professional organization. It's not gonna hurt you by any means if you have a degree in this, okay? But it is not tied to a job. And in this economy, like, you can learn for learning's sake, but there should be at least a trajectory you're on towards a job, okay? so micro credentials that stack along with somebody's focus you're in marketing you love games here's some stuff you're in nursing and you like how games uh you know increase the the healing rates and happiness in the pediatric intensive care unit which is an article that just came out that we should read uh, so you look at these things but you don't study it you don't expect to go into a game of it but just like games are part of every single workplace today i mean they are it's part of what you study at the university. Yeah. So that, so what, again, that was, I'm not saying it's a universal, but this is how right. I've gotten around it. And it's because it's so hot. Everyone wants to say, oh, oh, we need a major. We need a major. We need a major. That is old thinking. Not to crap on Stout. Stout has one of the absolute best games programs, your, your games animation program in the entire yeah. Midwest. If anybody could do. Top rated in, in the country. If, exactly. Like. And, and now that Madison has been struggling a little bit, like this, your program really is standout in the whole area. So if anybody could do it, you can. I'm not trying to crap on that. You have a very different context than I do, but I would never offer a gaming degree. I, like at our university, even maybe in Minnesota, I would never do that because the students don't need it. And it's one of those things like academia needs to calm down about grabbing everything that's flashy and think about what it does well add some knowledge to their other paths that are more established or, you know, look at ONET or whatever, maybe um, a specialty within a programming degree. But I don't think we need to be making more grad students and more PhD students and more professors of this, just like we've done with literature and rhetoric and all of these other things so that they can go adjunct for the rest of their lives. That, that was, was kind of, that was kind of my question is like, you know, it feels like the, you know, Folks who come from various disciplines already, media studies, rhetoric, you know, any number communications who end up focusing on games are more than capable of like continuing the field without needing to say, and this is, this, I'm not saying that Bergstrom is saying this, 
right? Um, but without saying we need to have a game studies doctoral program or, or graduate program in game studies to produce game studies scholars yeah. to perpetuate the field. Now, she's not saying that, no, no, but no. there is some sense that like, how do we perpetuate the field without leaving blood on the tracks? And this is one way to do it. And so I'm left with questions about like, well, what does it mean to perpetuate an interdisciplinary field anyway? Yeah, right? it's complicated, like, but we have an opportunity to do it different. So why go back to the same model that everybody else has done and it's failed? Exactly. And why why go back, you know, in to canon? Why go back, go back to, to genesis of a field? Why not, you know, uh, why not do what she's proposing? Why cling to, you know, these these sort of founders of a of a field that's so interdisciplinary? They're founders in some senses and wholly, you know, inadequate as founders in in many other senses i i think you're totally right but the but the other on the other hand sometimes programs make the field and like maybe maybe a, a particular program and maybe your your degree will do really well and then that will become a standard just like in business you know you can do business and sales without a degree like why do you possibly need a degree well you teach x y and z so you can assume people coming in have that base level of knowledge maybe You'll do that for the game industry and maybe you'll do it well and then it will remake the model that way like i i hope um but i'll say too i brought up my 2020 attw proposal that was rejected um and it was about the attw call that's a that's a program in our field it's a a attw is the association for teachers of technical writing thank you so the call was about peripheral technical writing and bringing together all of these sub areas of technical communication such as video games and bringing them into the center and into the spotlight and learning about them, et cetera, et cetera. So I propose as I would about procedural ethics, since I was, thank you, the first person to use this in our field. And I'm super jazzed about it. I propose it and I cite all scholars of color and women as one does, and it gets rejected. Do you know why? I see our notes, so I know why, but because I haven't... didn't cite Bogost. This person doesn't know what they're talking about. They didn't even cite Bogost. They use the word procedural and they're talking about games, but they didn't cite Ian As, And I even talk about, like, I first published about procedural ethics in 2015. I say that in there, but still, because I didn't cite Bogost, like, my scores, and you've seen ATW scores, they can be really high and you can still get rejected. Okay, so so I, my scores were excellent, but yeah. I didn't cite so when you're talking about, oh, well, that wouldn't happen in game studies where you don't start psych colloi, I but do that's... think Bogos has reached that level. Maybe Arseth even, I don't know. I mean, there certainly, there certainly are, right? And that is why they end up getting critiqued by Trammell, Bergstrom, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's a good conversation to have. I can't help but Thank wonder... You, about yes uh about what the the future of an interdisciplinary field looks like i'm sure i could find research and scholarship on you know cognates or analogs for other interdisciplinary areas um analogous to games but all that beside the point i think this is a fantastic article if you teach games uh, if you you know use games to teach, if you think about game studies as an academic field, as uh, issues with industry and how folks in industry have these similar issues yep. um, uh, with the the kind of blood on the tracks, then this is the nine page really awesome reading for you, and I can't recommend it enough. 
Yep, I think that's a great bottom line. Um, we want games to be better. We all do, regardless of what discipline you come from. Um, Bergstrom offers us a very clear, very poignant path, very much in line with the stuff we're reading from Trammell and, and other authors about kind of rethinking game game study scholarship seems to be at a crux, particularly with this journal, with this journal um, special issue. Uh, we're at a crux here. We, we're at a crossroads. We could go a bunch of different ways. And she just, she offers a really great path. So I, I'm with you. I encourage everyone to read it. I wanted to add in here that our listenership is like blowing up here. What? Blowing up. So I would love if people would start um, emailing us some, I think we still have the email address. I think it's on my phone. I hope you, uh, you probably haven't checked it and you probably do have emails. Well, it's supposed it, to Alex. come. It's supposed to come straight to my email. It's supposed email. to push. I don't get any push notifications. It's to push, but now that you say that I haven't checked, I haven't made sure it's pushing in a while because we've like only gotten one. I think it was from Sickart, <laughs> which was so amazing when it he was emailed incredible. us about play things. Uh, but anyway, um, if you have an article you want us to do or like you publish something, um, let us know. Let us know. Shoot us an email or a or a mastodon. Shoot us a mastodon. I'm not on mastodon, Alex. I know. I'm Are not... you on mastodon? Oh no. Shoot us a tweet, but that's dying. We got to figure something out. You send. Tell us what to do. Tell us how best to to shoot out when we make a new episode here. Besides just your uh, your. We can we can record. also just you know review into the void and hope folks uh, like us enough to actually subscribe to the podcast and have push notifications to their podcast app of choice and spread uh, via disciplinary word of mouth. This is about us. This is about how it makes me feel as a scholar. You want to see metrics. Not about, it's not about them. It's not about you <laughs> listeners. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. I am just kidding. It is about you. Let us know uh, what you want to hear next. And uh, we'll have another article from the special issue. Looking forward to it. Two weeks.